You're listening to Security Speaking, the SSI podcast. Managers from four central stations describe how they are successfully navigating through the most treacherous business terrain ever encountered. Among the valuable takeaways are how internal and external people skills, grit, and adaptability have never been more critical. Participating in the conversation is Jeff Cohen, President for a Quick Response Wholesale Third Party Central Station, Kevin Stone, COO for New York's Doyle Security Services, Allison Took, who is Monitoring Operations Manager for Paladin Technologies, and David Velasquez, Central Station Manager for American Burglary and Fire. So uh, let's start off just where uh, you uh, state your name and your title company and a little background on both yourself and your company. So let's uh, start with uh, Allison. Good morning. Um, My name is Alison Chuk. I'm the uh, manager of monitoring operations for Paladin Technologies in uh, Canada. Um, I started in the alarm industry about 32 years ago now and um, worked for a variety of large to small uh, range companies, always within the monitoring station as an operator, trainer, uh, operations manager, and uh, thoroughly enjoy the work within the industry. Um, Paladin Technologies is a large integrator across Canada, and actually I've just gone into the States uh, working with some organizations uh, south of the border. Really, uh, law monitoring is a uh, one part of that company and uh, the part that I am obviously most familiar with. I've worked with uh, SEER as the um, National Central Station Operator Trainer and also with CANASA, which is the security industry up here in Canada, uh, on their Best Practices Committee. And so that's a little bit about me and our organization. Thank you, Allison. Kevin, what about you? Sure. Good morning again, everybody. So Kevin Stone, I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Doyle Security Systems. We're located in New York. We've got seven offices across the state of New York in Northwest Pennsylvania. So there's a town called Erie, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of Pittsburgh. We're there and then across New York. So um, been in business for a little over 100 years, predominantly focused on electronic security and life safety. We do have our own UL listed central station. We monitor for about a hundred alarm companies. You know, that's not our primary business. Our primary business is to monitor for our customers, but we do some wholesale monitoring for about a hundred companies. So we have a little bit of both. Very good. David? Uh, hi, I'm the Central Stations Manager, David Velasquez, uh, for ABF Security. Uh, we're a Central Station, uh, or actually a whole uh, dealer here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, we monitor kind of, I would say, like a, about a 100-mile radius around our office. Uh, that's the main, the main bulk of what we've got as far as monitoring. We do uh, not just monitoring. We do uh, access control, you know, uh, camera systems, smart, t- uh, smart homes, uh, a lot of AV t- telephone, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, 
AV system setups for uh, customer sound systems. Uh, we, we, we only monitor our accounts. We don't have any uh, dealers with us. It's all ours here locally. So uh, we've been here in the St. Louis area since the mid-70s. Um, I've actually been in the industry for now about two and a half years, so I'm the kind of the new guy on the block when it comes to, to alarm systems. So I've uh, done a lot of call center um, technology stuff before this. Uh, worked for uh, Comcast, uh, ran about a 900-seat call center over there. So uh, going from that to, you know, focusing really on just, you know, our core base of customers here instead of doing national, um, kind of a change. But, yep, that's what we do here at ABF. Thank you, David. Uh, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I'm Jeff Cohen with uh, Quick Response Monitoring, located here in the uh, of Albany, Cleveland, Ohio, um, relatively close to Doyle. Uh, Quick Response is, is a wholesale central station uh, called Mid-Markets Wholesale Central Station primarily. Uh, we have around 500 or so alarm dealers that we monitor for. Um, we also have a, a, a small uh, retail alarm company that uh, uh, we have been had for about 50 years now. Uh, we are a multi-generational family business. I've uh, been around since as, uh, we started in the end of 1969 uh, as a Sonatrol uh, franchisee uh, and expanded from since there. So our retail operations Very are good. primarily, yeah, our retail operations are primarily focused in, in Northeast Ohio. Excellent, okay. So as we go through this, um, you know, it's meant to be fairly interactive. So if somebody brings something up that piques your interest and you want to chime in with a question to them or add something, uh, feel free. I encourage that. So the pandemic, um, you know, how has it uh, most impacted your company, um, you know, for the year? And uh, what is your outlook moving forward? So uh, let's just go back again and start with Allison on that one. I think uh, the pandemic really highlighted in our organization a couple of things. Obviously, uh, having to move most of our operations remotely, and at this point, we're sad at about 90% of our, operation, uh, our operators that are working remotely uh, across sort of um, British Columbia. Uh, really taught us not necessarily about the technology that we needed to wear, use and, you know, practices that we needed to change internally, but it taught us a lot about the people that were working for us. Uh, it showed us the resilience of those people, but it also showed us how working as a team is really key to working in a monitoring station. And so um, whether it be, you know, the isolation or being able to feed off of the person sat next to you when you're on a bad call, they really needed to have that team environment. And so we had an employee wellness committee that was created by peers, so peer to peer, to enable them to really be able to communicate with each other throughout the day. We'd had some pretty strict policies about internet usage and chat usage and instant messaging prior to the pandemic. And a lot of those have changed uh, recently to allow people to be able to continue to be in communication with each other, be able to uh, get that uh, um, 
support from other team members within the station. And I think what we've learned most during this pandemic isn't what technology we can put out there because we're quite good at that. It's our people and, and how much we truly rely on their ability to come to work, whether it be remote or not, and work with each other as a team uh, to get the job done. So. And what about in terms of uh, looking forward from now, uh, how's your outlook? Yep. And so, I mean, our outlook's definitely positive. I'm curious to see going into 2021 uh, what the remote worker will look like for a monitoring station, if in fact that becomes part of or a hybrid model to a UL or ULC uh, monitoring station. It certainly opens up the ability to have a candidate pool much broader than where we sit. Our main station is on an island and so we're very limited in the especially language skills. And so, uh, you know, I really hope to see that a remote worker continues to be an option going into 2021 and beyond that, um, so that it allows us to really diversify some of our staff pool further than we currently can. Did it affect attrition at all that you're aware? Um, it, it didn't because we are mainly not in the residential and small commercial market. We monitor for other dealers in that market. And certainly we see that uh, they have been impacted by that. Um, businesses have shuttered. And, you know, uh, we did a fair amount in the purse, so mobile purse, that tended to increase as people were worried about their, you know, loved ones that were home alone, uh, out of province as an example. But uh, large commercial, the work is there, the challenge is getting to the work and getting on the job site and being able to do that work. So I think the work is certainly sat pending, but uh, going ahead and, and rolling with some of that work has certainly been the challenge. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Kevin, what about you and, and your company? Yeah, so I, I would I would say that uh, working from home and transitioning to that type of an environment was a challenge. And it, it was something that we were able to do pretty quickly. You know, the technology's out there and thank God for that. I think okay. I think of this from the perspective of had this whole thing, the pandemic happened a decade or more ago. You know, I don't know that we would have been positioned very well to send people home. The technology was in its infancy at that time. And so we're lucky to have it happen when it did happen from my perspective. Um, we've had a lot of success with people working from home. It's generally worked pretty well. You know, I think that by and large, we've been able to get the vast majority of what we need to get done taken care of as far as getting work installed and, and invoiced and taking care of the customer. That's all worked out pretty well. You know, some of the more, I'd say the larger, more strategic projects that we would generally work on in a year have been sort of set aside. We've really focused on the blocking and tackling of the of the day-to-day, -day, if you will, and that's really been necessitated by the pandemic. You're just taking up mind space and time to deal with these things that, uh, you know, you wouldn't normally have to deal with. So I would say it's impacted us that way a little bit. Um, you know, externally, we've had to focus on, obviously, PPE out in the field with our technicians. You know, that was a difficult thing in the beginning because you really just didn't know much about what this disease was going to bring to the team. And, you know, it was, it was some sleepless nights deciding whether or not we would even put them out in the field, you know, quote unquote, in harm's way, if you will. And you know, knock on wood, you know, here we are nine, 10 months later, and we've not had very many cases at all. We've had a few isolated things. They haven't played out to be, you know, a big problem for us. And fortunately, the PPEs worked out really well for us. So, 
you know, we text our customers in advance. We send them emails in advance. We also call them in advance, let them know we're coming, let them know what the guys will be wearing and how we're going to interact with them. We're taking temperatures every day. Uh, we just have had to in institute a lot of requirements like that across the board. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been a challenge, but once again, we've seen our team rise up and just, you know, meet that challenge head on and, and really do a great job with it. And, you know, I will touch on attrition a little bit too. Out of the gate, we saw some increased, um, I'll say activity as far as people wanting to cancel. We did adopt a plan very early on where we would give three months of free monitoring to anybody that was having a challenge or a struggle. And then we would revisit at the end of that three months in the hopes that they'd be in a better position to be able to maintain the relationship with us. And that has by and large worked out very well. So we, uh, we didn't see nearly as much attrition as what I think we forecasted at one point in time. Certainly we've lost some small businesses. We have a lot of customers that are in that category and that attrition is up, but residential attrition for us is actually down. I think people are home more, obviously, they're using their systems a little bit more, maybe they see the value a little bit more. And I also think when you get into a pandemic or something like this, you know, people start to think about their own safety and security and, you know, an alarm system, something that's really good for peace of mind. So we've actually seen residential attrition dip down a little bit. What about in terms of those uh, dealers that you, uh provide monitoring for them, how have they generally uh, fared? I'd say it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. There's, there's some that are definitely up a little bit. You know, some of these are pretty small operators and then some are a little bit bigger, a little bit more sophisticated. They could probably put some more resources towards, you know, maintaining those customers. I, I would think some of them are not even in the position to offer free monitoring for a period of time, that kind of thing. So it is a bit of a mixed bag. Overall, the attrition's up a little bit in that group. Very good, thank you. David? Yeah, so I'm gonna start off with uh, attrition. Um, you know, it's it's been like, you know, we were saying it's been a rough year with the pandemic. Um, a lot of the, the kind of the civil unrest here in the States, uh, I know it's kind of been, you know, everywhere worldwide. That's also, you know, impacted, you know, our business as well, um, you know, we do a lot of monitoring for, you know, residential customers in those areas that were impacted. Um, we have seen, you know, not as much attrition on our residential side, um, just because there's so many different factors, like you say, work at home. Uh, people just want to know that they're safe when they're in, in their house. Um, businesses, you know, it's the, the commercial side of it. A lot of our attrition from there has been really kind of the customers that have really just lost their business. Um, a lot of hospitality, restaurants, and stuff like that, that's been, you know, the majority of our, you know, attrition has come from that sort of client base. Um, you know, it's, we, we are seeing a lot more uh, the virus coming around the St. Louis area. Since we were just based out of here, you know, we, we were fortunate enough, I know in New York you guys got hit very hard, very fast, right off the bat. Here in St. Louis, we, we really didn't start really getting a whole lot of cases until about two months ago. Um, you know, as a state overall, it was, it was very, very limited in the amount of exposure and people being, you know, being infected with this. Um, but over the past couple months, it has really, truly skyrocketed here. So, you know, we've been taking precautions here in the central station uh, with our techs in the field. You know, doing those calls beforehand, making sure that everybody's, you know, safe at that residence, you know, letting them know that, you know, we've got um, technicians there going to come in, you know, can we 
you know, please give them distance. Um, you know, if there's anybody that's been sick in your residence, or you know, if you even think that you might have had contact, let's just you know reschedule for later on down the line. Uh, some of our bigger projects like newer construction, uh, those kind of you know state where they're at, just because no one's on those job sites. It's usually us and um, maybe a foreman somewhere around there, but nothing really too big in that in that sphere. Uh, one thing that really has changed for us with our sales team, though, is, um, you know, we used to do the the face-to-face, you know, let's go over your system. Let's see, you know, let's let's go over the functionality of it. Let's make sure that you're comfortable after the technicians installed it, they've done their stuff. We've kind of almost taken a little bit more hands-off from, you know, the technicians, truly showing them, you know, every feature of it, um, giving them more information as far as, like, packets and stuff like that. But then really doing a FaceTime with that customer, with the sales rep, getting them ready to be online, going over everything that way, trying to keep it more of a, a virtual space in that area. Where before the pandemic, it was, you know, we really prided ourselves in the hands-on. We want to be there right there with you. Um, that was one of the, you know, kind of selling points that we have is we are local to the people we monitor. Um, they could come here. We could go to their homes, you know, fairly quickly, um, you know, to resolve any sort of issues, but really kind of taking in that virtual space for them uh, with our sales team has been a, a big step. We were fortunate that we didn't actually implement any remote um, operators working from home. Um, we were able to have, you know, other departments take those steps, but as far as here in the central station, we're ready for it. We've got the, you know, all the equipment ready. We've just not had to implement it. We haven't had those sort of impacts yet with uh, with the staffing. So we, we I, I pray every day that it stays this way. But you know we've got to prepare for the worst. Uh, I've got my emergency kind of my emergency response team. I guess would be um, one of the things that we ran into is not everybody has reliable internet at their home. Um, we have some people that live in some pretty rural areas. Um, they, they they can't work from home because um, they've got, you know, satellite uh, satellite internet that cuts them off for after you know a gig of data usage. <laughs> it takes them down to like a phone speed. So those are some of the obstacles that we have. And these, uh, you know, ABF is willing to help get them into you know higher speed, but it's just not offered in those areas. So that was one of the big hurdles that we had um, with with a lot of our dispatchers. I'd say at least half of our dispatch reside in those rural areas where they can't get the high-speed internet. Very good. Thank you, David. Jeff, what about for you and your company? Well, uh, we had one luxury going for us. We had space. Uh, we chose to keep our, uh, operate, our, our operators at our central station in-house uh, because we had the space that we could move people around the building. Uh, we moved a couple of departments around and we spread, we spread them out. We spread out uh, the, the operators and their staff to maximize the amount of space between, between them uh, to ensure that everyone stays safe. Um, and that's, I think, been very helpful. It's been very good for us. I don't know. Uh, I've never been a bit, big fan of remote work. Uh, we're all geared for it. Um, that should we decide we need to send people home or have additional people log in remote, we're, it's, everything is there ready to go. 
uh, but we chose, uh, you know, some central stations went almost 100% work from home. Some did a hybrid and, uh, and some did what we chose. Um, we keep that side of the building, the central station facility side of the building, pretty isolated. Um, essentially only one person, you know, if you work in the central station, you come and go from the central station exit to the, to the outside world. Um, if you don't work in central station, there's no reason for you ever to go into it. Um, so uh, you have people like myself who would, traditionally I'd be in central station every day if nothing else, to say good morning, to say good night to all, all the ships. And uh, haven't been able to do that for nine months. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's unfortunate. I think, uh, and honestly, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges for many of us is um, the team, the, the, the team building things that we used to do, um, whether it's uh, as simple as just um, bringing in a lunch for, for, you know, bringing in lunch for the operators or, or doing some team building exercises. Um, some of those things you, you cannot do. Um, yeah, you can, you, we, we are still finding ways to do some of that by, if we're going to bring lunch in, right? We bring lunch in, everything is prepackaged lunch. Uh, there's no buffets, no nothing like that anymore. Um, if uh, if one of our dealers, it's Christmas time, right? So so some of our dealers, uh, you know, uh, want to send food or whatnot to the operators as a, as a sign of appreciation, and uh, we have asked them to make sure that if that they coordinate with us instead of just sending, let's say, um, uh, you know, most of them call and say, hey, what can I send? You know, if you're going to send, you know candy or something like that, which the operators appreciate, please send something that is already individually packaged. Yeah. Uh, no plugs, but like cookies or something like that that come in individually wrapped. So those kinds of things to try to keep, uh, you know, some sense of normality. Uh, but that has been, a, that's been a big challenge for us is, is trying to keep the team uh, as a whole company intact. But other than that, you know, uh, you know. Otherwise, I'm, I guess I'm repeating what everyone else has said. Is you know, we've all had our challenges. Uh, we also have been lucky that we've only had one uh, case and uh, one COVID case, and it was uh, it was caught early, and the operator um, did the right things, and uh, it did not spread across the building. So. Jeff, what about in terms of uh, the dealers that you serve? You know, what is your sense of how they fared overall? And were there some extreme cases, and uh, you know, that had hardships, and also some cases where maybe they thrived during this? Um, I, I guess, like others, it's probably been a pretty mixed bag. Um, we have not seen anything unusual in terms of numbers, right? Um, I think the rate of growth amongst our dealers is generally slow, but I don't think uh, uh, we haven't seen anything, you know, any big spikes or dips, uh, you know, in aggregate. There might be one or a couple, you know, a couple of smaller dealers have had more hardship than some of the bigger dealers. I'm, you know, I don't look too deep into those numbers because dealers change all the time dealers numbers change all the time they add a couple of here they drop a couple of here for whatever reason we don't 
really get into, we don't get into that. Um, we are not a purge central station. So that we haven't seen um, any changes there. Um, we are seeing more interest in the, in the uh, remote video side of the world of what we do. Um, but that's a different sales cycle and, and, uh, and that's, you know, and I, but again, nothing, nothing dramatic or nothing unusual. The one thing we have seen is that we have seen a little bit of a, an uptick in some of the dealers looking to sell. Some of the older dealers were here in the Midwest were in a more mature part of the industry, I would say. I mean, it just seems to me that the Midwest seems to be an older part of the industry. And so we are seeing uh, an uptick in the, some of the dealers, especially the smaller ones, saying, I think I've had enough. I don't, you know, and I have heard some dealers, again, with their technicians, they can't do their work. They either have technicians out or the customers can't let, aren't letting them in to do what they need to do. So that's, I, we're hearing that, you know, that's all, um, you know, third party in terms of what we're hearing. Um, and so, but it hasn't really affected us directly as much. Uh, during this period, in terms of the alarm signals coming into your monitoring, have you noticed any um, overall spike, say maybe um, residential, maybe is fewer signals because people are home or maybe commercial is a spike because there's uh, more break-ins and or, or false alarms or what have you seen in terms of the signal transmission trend uh, during this time? And I'll let Jeff answer that and then the rest of you can. Here's what I'll tell you. I think a, a couple of things have happened. We've seen operator handled events drop precipitously. We've seen a, a major change in the number of operator handled events. Um, and, and I think that a lot of that has to do with people staying home, not arming their system as much, so there's gonna be less false alarms. But at the same time, we've seen a dramatic increase, and it's something we started a year, a couple of years ago, promoting the use of um, SMS technology, text messaging, uh, as well as IVR technology. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and buried in there also is emails. So we've seen the number of text messages that we send uh, almost, I, I believe it's um, up almost 100% this year. So to a certain extent, that means we're automating more. We're able to do more with the same number of operators. Um, and maybe, you know, by, by, through, the, through the automation, maybe that's part of it, but we're definitely seeing a, a, a lower number of, um, uh, of, of extraneous alarms like I won't say false alarms because an alarm is not false it's until someone confirms it's false but there's been a lower number of alarm signals who'd like to jump in next on that one with that I, I'll take that next yeah so I'm, I I pretty much agree with you know everything Jeff's saying as far as the you know the, the number of events we're, we're seeing at least here in ABF, we're seeing about the same amount. Um, one of the, the things that we're seeing that is kind of giving us more a little bit, uh, a little bit more trouble overall is, you know, our, our trouble events. 
um, you know, where we normally would be able to send our service technician out there um, to, to resolve these issues, these customers are having troubles and they, and they truly don't want us at their homes. Um, you know, we try to help them as best as we can. A lot of people just don't feel comfortable climbing up the change of battery and a motion detector, right? So, you know, they want someone to come out and do it. Um, you know, we, and we want them to be safe if they're going to, you know, climb me up on something. But, you know, as far as the trouble events that are out there, I've, I've noticed a kind of a trend is, you know, they're not getting as resolved as quick, but that's just due to, you know, us not being able to get our technicians into those locations um, due to the virus. So not really so much uh, alarm conditions that have increased. Uh, you know, we are seeing a little bit, nothing really significant, uh, just a couple percentage increase. And, you know, the, the tripping the alarm in the middle of the day just because they forgot that it was on. Uh, they're, they're waking up in the morning, they, it's now noon, they've been on calls all morning, they go to let the dog, you know, out after the kid's gone, and, and you know, it trips at that point. Um, but as far as, you know, really true events coming through as far as alarms, we're about the same. It's just those trouble conditions, uh, and then, the, you know, us reaching out and letting the customer know that, hey, we're here, we know that we can't service your stuff right now for you, whenever you're comfortable, we would like to come in and help. Um, resolve these issues just to make sure that you know they are up to you know up to current standards as far as everything working for them so it's that's the one that we've kind of got a backlog in is just those troubles what about for Doyle what has the signal pattern been like during the pandemic yeah we've seen a slight reduction you know they've gone down a little bit and I think we would we would basically think that's because, you know, people aren't using their systems as much. There's been some businesses that have been closed, you know, permanently, and then some that have been closed just temporarily based on government orders, that kind of thing. So, you know, less interaction with the system, less signal activity is oftentimes the case. We've also deployed technology uh, similar to what was mentioned earlier, SMS texting technology and whatnot. So some of the lower priority signals are now system handled, if you will, and that's reduced the operator handled signal activity. So, that's an ongoing effort, something we're working on all the time, trying to find ways to be more efficient, monitor more systems, that kind of thing. So that's helped us a lot too, but overall activity is definitely down a little bit. Well, I think between the automation and it being down a little bit is uh, very helpful during a challenging period like this, you know? No doubt it's helpful. You know, we haven't even touched on it, but I'm sure everybody's running into a staffing issue. It's, it's just very difficult to find people these days. Yeah. At least it is for us. It's uh it's a real, it's a real struggle every day. So anything we can do to help on the other side of that is a big benefit to the company for sure. Mm -hmm. Allison, what about uh, signals for your company? I would agree our signal volume overall is down. Uh, what we are finding, however, is our time of day busy events has changed. And so my son just went to work. Um, and so uh, that certainly has impacted our staffing needing to be um, more staffed at different times of the day than we traditionally would have been. The other thing that we did see, especially over the summer months, it seems to have uh, alleviated a little bit now, uh, as businesses started to reopen 
um, we started to get more and more activity that was actual events. And so we did see a significant uptake over the summer months, especially in uh, actual events. So B&Es and uh, even uh, panic alarms and holdups, those sorts of things. And so that was a little disconcerting. The other thing we joke about is, you know, we had a huge increase in residential fire alarms as all those husbands went home and started to learn how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, you bring up the 3G sunset. So uh, for everybody, you know, how comfortable are you feeling about that right now? It's looming a year from February. Uh, do you think it's uh, critical that it gets pushed back a little bit? And, you know, how do you feel about in general with your, your company who'd like to jump in uh, besides David on that one? I'll jump in on that. I, I mean, I would... Our sunset date is a little bit different than yours in the States, uh, different carriers, but I think it is something that's across the board for everyone. Uh, the challenges that we're currently having with telephone lines as fiber gets installed across Canada, as they're changing out the old Nortec switches and creating all sorts of havoc uh, in communication paths. Adding on top of that, uh, issues with having to now upgrade and change out cellular units as well. It becomes, uh, uh, it really makes you look at what paths are available that are long-term for customers. And so, you know, transitioning people to uh, IP active polling, uh, especially for fire alarm systems, certainly has become more of our norm. Uh, making sure that there is always a dual pass available to you so that, uh, you know, you, you have the ability to lose one of those paths without losing communication completely to that customer. Um, but I think uh, just educating your customers on, on the fact it used to be if they kept their own phone lines, they were fine. If the station managed their phone lines, they were fine. Now it's that in-between path that none of us have control over. And I think uh, Kanasa, uh, we started working with the telecoms across Canada to come up with and understand what their path forward is, not so that we can change it because we know we don't have the power to do so, but so that we can be at least a little bit more prepared as they make these changes and understand what it is that they're doing, whether that's cellular or uh, telephone lines. Thank Again, you. You're welcome. <laughs> Kevin, or do you want to chime in on that at all? Yeah, sure. Uh, I do believe that it's critical that the date get pushed back. You know, I think that it was a daunting task to get it done pre-pandemic. And I think the pandemic has brought some other challenges and you, know, you focused on some other things. So it's been difficult. I think the industry's behind in getting those radios switched out. You know, we're about, we're about 45% into what we have to do. We've got thousands of them out there. So we this year decided to hire individuals specifically and only to go after upgrading radios and think that's the only way we can get after it. So that's what we're doing. Um, we also deploy two technologies for every customer. And if, if they're not interested in, you know, like internet slash GSM or internet slash uh, AES radio or, or another option, then we actually have them sign off that, you know, they just want one path of communication. Thought being that, you know, when the next level of 3G radios goes away, you know, we'll have something else in place that could, that could work, at least it'd be part of the time. I mean, it's, None of these are foolproof. So we think it's better to have two sources of communication. That's what we're really trying to push all of our customers towards. Yeah. So three Gs. How, how, how do you uh, uh, position it with your customers in terms of cost, Kevin? Yeah, we've, we've, 
we started out where we've got a dollar amount that we charge the customer and we generally are getting it from most of our customers for commercial, especially it's just not that big of a deal uh, for residential. Sometimes you get a little bit more pushback. We set it up in such a way we went in and we identified all of our customers and set a work order in the system for them. So that if we were out there for something else over the next, you know, going back a year and then a year forward here. Um, if we were out there for something else, we could tell them it would save them the service call, which is, you know, about a hundred dollars savings. So that really motivated quite a few people. And that seemed to have, have worked out pretty well. But as you get deeper down into the list and you get people that have already turned you down once or twice, it gets more and more difficult. We ultimately, I don't want you to print this, but we ultimately will reduce that pricing. And the last time we did this, when we got rid of 2G, we got down to where we were doing it at no charge for customers. The other thing that we do is we offer two different options, right? You can pay a flat fee, which I think is just about $200, or you can pay five, it's either five or $7 a month for the rest of time. And it kind of future proofs you against any sort of an upgrade that would happen going down the road. We did that last time too. And about 40% of our upgrades that we did last time were people that, you know, have to have it done again. And now because they were paying that additional monthly fee, it was just covered. So that became pretty easy to call them up and say, Hey, you know, you bought the service from us last time and your radio needs to be upgraded again. And, you know, it's, it's all included. So. Do you think Works people out. are, sorry to interrupt. Do you think people are more aware of the need to upgrade based on, you know, you, you think your cellular phone, uh, how many people have the same cellular phone that they had two years ago, five years ago? I mean, the, right. the thought process of upgrading has become something that people recognize as a necessity in today's technology. I think whether they want to pay for it is another story, but uh, uh, I think people understand yeah. the fact that technology is moving at a faster pace and that they need to continue to move with it in order to stay uh, current with that technology. I think that's a great point, but I would also say that your comment about whether or not they want to pay for it really comes into play pretty quickly right. because Most we definitely. get calls every day from customers that say, your alarm system's broke, can you come and fix mm -hmm. it? And I try to understand where does that mentality come from? Your car breaks down, you understand you're going to have to pay to get it fixed. Right your alarm breaks down, they, they tend to think that we're supposed to fix it. I think it's because we charge them that monthly fee. And mm -hmm. whether they have a maintenance agreement or not, they sort of feel like, you know, it's kind of like yeah. your internet provider. If your router goes down or your box goes down, you know, generally you can get that repaired at no, at no cost to you. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, for, fortunately, uh, we can thank as much as I'm not a big iPhone guy, but we can actually thank Apple for this, for, for <laughs> easing it for us. You know, for a number of years, every two years, you got yourself a new iPhone and they built that the cost of it into uh, into your monthly fee. And now the carrier said, hey, we're, we're no longer going to be subsidizing a 700 or a thousand dollar phone. So now you get a set. Now it separates the fees out. And so I think that has helped mm -hmm. customers realize that, uh, yeah, you got to pay. You got to pay for new technology. I don't know how many of you guys have seen or heard your customers say, my alarm system has been installed for 30 years. It's had no problems for 30 years. Why should <laughs> I have to pay for something new now? Yeah, it's true. And where's quick response at with the uh, transition, Jeff? Well, I, um, again, fortunately for us, you know, since we're primarily dealer-based, uh, it's, it, I hate to say it, it's up to the dealers. Um, the other day, the TMA had a webinar on exactly on this issue, this, this transition, trying to 
encourage Congress to get uh, AT&T to extend the, the, the shutdown date for whatever, nine months, I think. Uh, and the numbers I think that someone was saying was staggering, the number of radios that are still out there. So I think there's very much a challenge right now uh, for, for everyone. And I know for, for our limited number of retail subscribers, we've seen the problems where we can't get some of the, sometimes we can't get the radios from the manufacturer or the manufacturer. Uh, we've seen uh, unusual levels at times of defects from one or more of the manufacturers. Defects in the sense of the radios aren't bad, but they do things like uh, go to sleep and don't really wake up. Um, we've seen little, you know, so from our retail operation, we've seen some of that. And it's been a challenge, especially when you go back. I imagine, I, I mean, I imagine Doyle specifically, you guys probably been going, you know, probably five, 10 years without putting phone lines in. And I think that's most, most alarm companies, I think are, have, been, have been said no phone lines a number of years ago. So all new subscribers for the last X number of years have been on cellular. That's a lot of radios. And I think there is, I think there are issues all the way up and down the supply chain with us, with us the, the retail alarm company being that last step in the supply chain uh, they're getting the brunt of it, but I think further upstream, again, the manufacturers, I don't think there's enough radios out there uh, so that everyone can get converted in a timely fashion or in the time frame that specifically AT&T is talking about. Very good. Uh, unless you want to add something to that, David, I, I have my final question queued up. Okay. So let's uh, talk about the competitive landscape a little bit, especially in terms of you know how you feel about uh, the DIY, the MIY, and also big tech, uh, you know, coming into the industry. So, what's your overall competitive outlook with those things in consideration? And uh, let's just stick with Allison and work our way back. I do think the industry has the availability to support all three of those. I think that traditional people that buy traditional security services, uh, that market still exists. Uh, people that are buying from the big techs, these are people that are going online and, and buying those products and they're simply now tying them into services uh, that you know the Googles and, and those sorts of Amazons can support. DIY, we've dealt with a few DIY over this last year. I was very anti-DIY originally, uh, but it's actually worked out quite well. As long as you put restrictions in place as to, you know, uh, drop back down boxes, what they can select as opposed to just leaving it uh, out there. I think the market is big enough to be able to support all three of those independently without really having a huge impact on bottom lines for anybody. Maybe that's a naive look at it, but that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, do you think, though, the big tech's going to get fairly dominant within that? Or do you think uh, they'll just have to sort of slice? 
I think they'll keep a slice. I don't think they'll get dominant because I think people's perception of big tech is exactly as we're sort of talking about them here. Uh, they're not always favorable. You know, we had uh, telecom companies coming into the market in Canada uh, with a, a much broader reach than any of the alarm companies currently had. And yet people are walking away from them because they don't like the the way that corporation or that uh, big company does business. People are still looking for the, the local guy around the corner that's going to be able to protect me. And I think you'll have both sides of that market in customers uh, continuously. So yeah, they'll take a slice most definitely, but I don't think they'll take the whole thing. I still think there is enough availability of customers and variety of customers out there to support DIY, big tech, and traditional law monitoring. Do, do you see the big tech threat bigger on the residential side than the commercial? Uh, yes. Yeah, because I don't think they're willing to get into the uh, complex integrated systems. They're, they're looking for the quick dollars. Yep. Very good. Jeff? I got to uh, dovetail on, on what Allison is saying, and I, I think she's hit the point. I guess uh, many of us remember AT&T uh, in the alarm industry in the early, in the mid 80s, uh, and then out, and then back in in the, in the mid 90s with uh, when after the, uh, uh, the Meritech SBC uh, 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 thing with the Telecom Act of 96, and then out. And then uh, most recently in the last 10 years with AT&T Digital Life, and I think they're out again. <laughs> um, and maybe it's just AT&T, uh, but I do think that, you know, the, uh, that the big tech companies, whether it's uh, Amazon Ring or Google Nest, um, they will have their place. Um, I can't tell you, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people, uh, people I know in my neighborhood, they have their alarm system by XYZ company and they have a ring doorbell. Um, mm -hmm. They don't, they don't want the two combined, but some do. I mean, I think that I, so I, I think what Allison was saying, so agreeing with what Allison was saying is I think there's going to be a place, especially in the residential market uh, for, uh, for, for the Googles of the world and for the Amazons of the world um, to, to be. And I think for, for it will be a continuing challenge for the heavy residential alarm dealer to compete with some of that, provided, but uh, a lot then depends on equipment. Um, Residio is coming out with some, some nice equipment for the home. That, that, that will, I think that, that will be able to compete with some of that. On the commercial world, yeah, I, I don't know how many people, how many companies are willing to trust or, or trust their own, you know, is Google gonna wanna send out technicians into the field to install commercial security, uh, commercial fire? I don't, um, I don't see that. The one thing I do see that, uh, however, uh, potentially is uh, a change in the general recurring revenue rates for residential alarm systems. Um, I suspect that uh, the rates, uh, you know, are may go down a little bit uh, if you, you know, 
Well, you know, maybe the bundled rates, um, I think um, Vivint sees much higher uh, recurring than a lot of other companies. Um, but they've been, you know, bundled, you know, base alarm monitoring, cellular uh, automation, all that stuff. But I think over time, I think that's going to, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's going to come down a little bit. Um, and that, that will be due to uh, Google and Amazon offering these services for, uh, you know, very cheaply, a uh, few dollars a month type of things. I don't think it's going to drop to overall to a few dollars a month, but I think well, residential monitoring rates will probably drop over time. Don't know how much. Well, you mentioned about Google not wanting to have their own techs going out into commercial spaces, but they have the ADT relationship now. So there, there, there is that. I mean, we don't, we, do, we don't know. I mean, they could, you know, I think they're doing it right, you know, by partnering with ADT they're not making the same mistakes uh, that uh, AT&T has made in the, in the business, but, or some of the other big companies that, that, that have gone in and gone out over the years. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big, I don't trust the big tech. Personally, I don't trust the big tech companies. Look what happened the other day with SolarWinds and anyone who's in the IT space knows the name SolarWinds. They're the 800 pound gorilla of network monitoring of, of, that, of that space. And they got this nasty hat. It's only a matter of time between before, you know, something nasty happens at, 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 uh, at Nest or, or, or Amazon Ring or, or whatnot. I mean, the other thing to think about is people, people put in their Nest um, thermostats in their house, but when the, when the furnace breaks, they're not calling Google. They're calling, you know, Bob's Heating and Cool. And I think that, I think there will always be uh, a market for the, the the local operator. I agree. Thank you, uh, David. As somebody who's uh, newer to the industry and come from adjacent industries, you know, what's your perspective on this? They come from the outside in. The DIY kits, right? So that's, you know, we're, the big tech, they're going to have their, their place in the market. Like we we're saying, I don't really think that they're going to go into the commercial space. They're going to, people just don't have that, they don't have that warm, fuzzy feeling like they do with a real security system uh, installed by professionals that's separate from, you know, their Google or their Alexa, right? That's, you know, I, I want those types of things to turn on my lights and stuff like that. But, do I really want them for my security? Not, not really. Um, but the DIY kits, I think that's where, you know, the as an industry, if we look at the, you know, the the customization. You know, can we get like, you know, hey, what's your floor plans look like? If we make it more personal uh, to those customers, I really think that we can, you know, scrape a little bit more back onto our plate. Um, you know, it's uh, kind of like we do with our new construction here. Um, we've got the floor schematics we lay it out for them. We say, hey, this is, what, this is what's going to work best. This motion detector is going to get this. You're full covered over, you know, uh, your windows, the motions on this area. You know, looking at it more of a customizable thing. Um, right now, most of the ones that I've looked at, you know, you go and you click a couple drop downs. How many windows do you have? How many doors? How many motion detectors do you want? You know, if we could get something more 
um, customizable towards their home. You know, I have it prepackaged up, sent out. Um, you know, yes, it's going to be like the, the the peel and stick type situations with most of those sensors, but you know, giving them that option to kind of really build it really customizable to their residence. Uh, if we had floor plans, you know, even if the the salesperson goes through. Yes, let's take away the automated part because that's what most of those DIY kits are. It's just you go into a website, you go in, you purchase it there. Well, if, if you get to talk to an actual sales rep and, hey, walk me through. Let's see what, you know, the, if, if you feel comfortable, let's walk through, uh, do a camera view of what your home looks like. You know, yeah, we can install the motion detector up there for you or we could get one set up for you on that one and, you know, really taking it into that market. And that's what I've kind of asked uh, the owners here at the, you know at our company is like you know if we took it into into that realm you know because we're really about the the customer interaction and that personal touch to uh, the alarm system so um, instead of just clicking a, a drop down box to pick what you want but let's really look at what would be best for those customers so I think that's really the DIY part that's where I think you know uh, as alarm companies I think we're going to kind of you know move into as far as like do a prepackaged kits for them. Yeah, I think um, on both sides of that, it's about uh, offering that for those types of customers, uh, but also maintaining the competitive edge that the best security companies have always had in terms of tailoring and customizing solutions to that particular customer, which the big tech companies will always struggle with or the larger companies like Allison was uh, mentioning too. So thank you, David. Uh, Kevin, let's bring us, bring us home on this topic. Yeah, sure. I'll start with big tech. You know, I think it'd be foolish not to look at it as a bit of a threat, if not more than that. Although I do see a lot more opportunity than I see a threat here. You know, we did see, as was mentioned, the phone companies came in and then they all got out. Then the cable companies came in. They've largely all gotten out. And I think it really came down to a couple of things. Our space is not big enough to really attract their attention. And you would think that, you know, I, I know that a lot of the cable companies thought that they could reduce their attrition and that really didn't play out for them. I don't think they did reduce their attrition all that much. And I think that their inability to service a customer the way a security customer demands to be serviced is a huge roadblock for them. It makes it very difficult. It's a big barrier for them to get past. So I, I think that we'll continue to see, you know, these big tech giants get into the space for sure. But I think the awareness that they'll bring to the industry and to what we're doing will help us more than it will hurt us. You know, they say a rising tide raises all ships, and I kind of yep. look at it that way. I feel like you know they're going to pour tons of money into advertising. It's going to be a component of what they do. And yet when people get right down to it and they look at it, they're going to say, I take my security pretty seriously, especially residentially. And I want, I want an expert. I want a professional. I want it done the right way. I think for a long period of time, we're still going to see that, that uh, behavior from a consumer. As far as DIY and MIY, you know, we're monitoring both very closely. I do think there is much the same as was mentioned earlier. I think there is room for all those different technologies and those product offerings, if you will. But I also believe, you know, we get quite a few phone calls from customers that have tried that and it hasn't worked out for them. You know, they're not experts in do it yourself or even monitoring it yourself. I mean, monitoring it yourself sounds really great until you're on vacation and you know, you, you, you can't do, what do you do with the signal activity? You just start mm -hmm. calling people up and hoping that you've got a neighbor that can run out there and verify if there's a fire or not. I mean, it's just, it's just not nearly as good as what we offer in my opinion. So 
We've seen consumers that have gone out and bought some of these do-it-yourself or monitor-it-yourself camera systems or alarm systems, and then they come back to us and say, you know what, tried that, done that, it didn't meet my expectations, and now we really want you guys to come back in here and, and take care of it. So with that said, I'm not naive enough to believe that there aren't going to be some people that it works just, just fine for them. I think, you know, the millennials and the way they go about purchasing things and, you know, the way they use their smartphones, and it's going to evolve, and I, I think that they'll... Uh, you know, the, the take rates on that kind of a offering will go up. I do believe that to be true, but I don't think it's going to get after, you know, our core business. And I think that'll stay in place for quite a period of time. So I guess in summary, yes, I see a threat from all three to an extent, but I see a much greater opportunity. Very good. All right. Um, with that, we're going to close this up, but uh, thank you, everybody. We appreciate your interest and encourage you to subscribe to Security Sales and Integration and its newsletters. Regularly visit securitysales.com for the latest news and follow SSI on social media.